Hello, Frighters. I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, Frighters. What's up? So this week, I have a amazing, awesome, special guest named Pete Nunweiler. He is a paranormal enthusiast, investigator. He has some awesome paranormal books, and he is coming to join me this week because during this spooky season, I am going to do cases by Ed and Lorraine Warren. So I thought, what better than having someone who knows a little bit about the paranormal world to join me talking about these things? How are you, Pete? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. So... Let's tell the Friders a little bit about what you do and your books and all of that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. I have I've recently, well, I've, my wife and I have been paranormal investigators for probably about 11 years. Just recently, we've, be, we've made it a little bit more of a formal process, but we always, everywhere we went, we always tried to go on a haunt to see if we could find something, you know, and I trust a real haunted house much more than we go to. I would never go to a set up haunted house. They are just scary, but real haunts don't scare us. <laughs> so we've been doing that for quite a long time. And, you know, with a, I have a little bit of a brief writing background with uh, some nonfiction. And I had the idea to kind of integrate some of the stories, the real stories that my wife and I experienced in our investigations into a fictional world. So a lot of the the characters in the book called The Ghost Between Us, it's a trilogy, that's book one. Ghost Between Us is book one. Book two is The Ghost Beside Us. And then book three is The Ghost Within Us. So the, the characters, the experiences that the characters have throughout, some of them are very, very accurate, exactly what happened to my wife and I. Other ones, maybe they're a little embellished. <laughs> and maybe a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, selling books, it's a good it's a good thing. Even if right, you embellish right. a little bit. There's yep. definitely books that probably that, do that more. Uh, I figured the uh the skeptics will be entertained and the believers will be like, this guy's actually been there. Yeah, definitely. So Speaking along that lines, what's one of the craziest experiences you've had, either staying in one of those haunted places or during an investigation? What's one of the craziest things that's happened to you? Probably one of the first haunted places that we stayed. My wife and I went to, I'm a big Civil War history buff. I love the history of the Civil War, and I wanted to take her out to Gettysburg, but not everybody likes the Civil War and likes history. So I'm like, well, I know she's going to be bored. I don't want her to be bored. So, of course. It's okay. <laughs> My dog is, is saying hello, too. So, what I did is I basically suckered her into it by saying, well, here's what we'll do. I'll, I'll set up a paranormal investigation trip, and we'll go to – and we'll meet Mark Nesbitt, the author of the Ghosts of Gettysburg series. We'll, we'll stay at a haunted bed and breakfast. And we'll do all those things. And that's how I can get her there because she loves paranormal stuff. And when, when we got there, you know, in the end, we both fell in love with the other. You know, she loved the history. I loved the paranormal. <laughs> but when we got to the place, it's called the Cashtown Inn, seven miles west of Gettysburg. It was about 3.30 in the afternoon. And when we arrived, I, I was so excited because, you know, a, one of the biggest paranormal teams had stayed there and they caught some, some video of a picture frame on a corner just pivoting Mm -hmm. while he was sleeping. He was sleeping in this pivoting. And I thought we were staying in that room. And when we got there, I I walked upstairs and went into the room and I'm looking around and I told my wife, I said, this isn't it. She's like, this isn't what? And I said, this isn't the room that they stayed in. She goes, well, no, that's room three downstairs and it's a single bed. We're not staying in that room. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, we go downstairs and when we get down there, room three, the door is cracked open. I'm like, I, okay, I'm a typical man. I don't notice everything. So as I'm going up, I didn't remember it being open going up the stairs, but it was certainly open coming down the stairs. Mm -hmm. So I creaked the door open and I looked around the corner and I saw the, this rocking chair and this little table and I saw the frame and I got excited. I'm like, there it is. There's the frame. There's the picture frame. There's the rocking chair. And it's moving. Ooh. And she said, what? I said, the rocking chair just came up 
all the way, like someone just stood up out of it and then went back and rocked while I was looking at it. And she said, you're kidding. And I said, you see it moving, right? And she said, yeah, it, it, I see it moving. I said, it wasn't when I first opened the door. I watched it start moving. And that was just the beginning of, I think we were staying there for four days that time. We've been back a couple of times since. So, um, but it was, it was the most impressive. Strangely, it's not scary there. But we had, we had things happen daytime, nighttime, all the time at that place. So Yeah, I definitely feel like vibes can be different depending on like what kind of spirits or things are there. Like you Absolutely. can definitely get the vibe of if it's like a bad, like a bad spirit, demon, those Absolutely. kind of things. Or if it's like something that's just kind of stuck around and it's just doing its thing and you're doing your thing. Which brings me to my next question. So what are your thoughts on demons and possessions and those kind of things. Well, I, I don't want it to happen to me. I'll tell you that for sure. I do believe that it's possible. I do believe that I think people ask for it. Honestly, we, we see paranormal shows. We see people that, that provoke. And when you're talking about an undead spirit or somebody who, who's angry, you know, for whatever reason, whatever you believe. And let me preface the rest of the show by saying, I'm not out to make anybody a believer. Matter of fact, the more that I study, the less I think is a ghost making that noise. I, I believe that, that that's possible. And when you provoke, you're, you're making somebody angry. I mean, if, if you provoke the living person, they're going to get angry. You provoke something that has power and, and is invisible, they're going to get angry in a way that you, you're not going to like. I've heard of, you know, 250 pound men being lifted off their feet and launched across a room. And this is people that I know. And they never, ever, ever provoked again, ever. They became very humble. So yeah, I, I definitely believe in it. But I think, I believe in most cases, it's provoked. I think it's, it's asked for. So mm -hmm. if you go in with respect, I don't think you have a problem. I hope that's the fact because I always go in respectful. <laughs> so I just don't want that to happen to me. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I used to watch like that show, like Ghost Adventures and things like that. And Zach definitely kind of provokes them while he's on uh -huh. the thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you kind of talked about this, but in in most of your experience, you said as you've gotten more experience, you, you think less and less that it's a ghost causing it. So is that kind of what you think? Is that more often than not, there's a rational explanation or is it kind of 50-50? Well, I want to go back to the definition of paranormal. It's beyond normal. You know, it's okay. something that's beyond normal. So are the experiences that we have paranormal? Absolutely. Paranormal does not necessarily mean it's a ghost or a spirit or a demon or a possession or anything else. Paranormal, by definition, is something we can't explain. I really believe there's a science behind it. There, there's a very deep science, and I want to study a lot more about that. And that's the approach that I want to take in future investigations is what is the science behind it? And I think it was Isaac Newton that said energy, you know, energy. He was talking about energy. It, it, it changes and it moves. but mm -hmm. It cannot be removed. It can't be eliminated. So there was a time that I saw an apparition run across the battlefield in Gettysburg. I, I watched it behind my wife. It appeared in my vision. It wasn't just out of the corner of my eye. It appeared you know, behind her, ran across probably 25, 30 feet, and then disappeared. Mm. Was that a ghost? Or was that the energy of something that happened 150 years ago reforming for some reason? I, I don't know. You know, is it just an energy that has recollected itself? Is it a ghost? Is it this man's version of hell or purgatory? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That is, that's interesting. But I know I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I was telling you before we actually started recording about how when I, I'm originally from right outside of Philadelphia and the house that I lived in, I mean it was, it was creepy. It's one, of, it's one of the reasons that like, when I was younger, I was scared of everything because I would hear like stairs creaking in the middle of the night. There is one time my sister studied abroad in Barbados and brought me back this vase. And so that I could always have something in it. I put fake flowers in there. And in the middle of the night, my laptop was on my side table and the flowers were on my desk across the room. And 
the flowers were laid on my desk side by side in like a line and my computer wow. was not was on the desk and so it's like weird things have happened there and that my friends cool. and i in college one of my friends worked for like the tv this was the first college i went to i only went there for a year but they worked for the tv station at the college and we were like oh, it's like Halloween and ghosts and things, like it's super spooky. Well, there's a building here that's, that is said to be haunted, so let's go there. And uh, I did not last through the night. <laughs> I, oh, I bet. I, I pieced out of there at like 11.30. <laughs> I was like, have fun, guys. We, when we were there, there was a room that is said to be one of the haunted rooms, and we we were all on one side of the door. The security guards, which let us into the building, told us that they would not open that door for us. And we knocked on the door. We were like, bump, 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 bump. And all of a sudden, on the other side of the door, we hear bump, bump. And right when we hear that, that knocking in a room across the hall, which is another room that was locked because it was like a storage for that building, things just started crashing. It sounded like things were just being thrown all over. And then we finally got into that room. Nothing had been touched. There was nothing, nothing on the ground. Everything was like, so it's, wow. I definitely wow. like, kind of like you said, I never want possession or anything to happen to me. <laughs> That's why I don't use Ouija boards or things like that. But I do kind of believe in that. Like, like you Absolutely. said, paranormal. Is it an energy? Is it a ghost? Is it like you? I don't really know what it is, but I do believe that there's something there because I've had weird things happen and had that like I'm alone, but I'm not really alone kind of feeling. There, I, I think there's a big difference between what we call in the field, in the paranormal field, you know, investigation terms, residual energy. There's a big difference between residual energy and an intelligent spirit. Whatever laid your flowers out, if it wasn't one of your friends playing a trick on you, then that's an intelligent spirit. And, and frankly, it's, you know, I guess by definition, a poltergeist is something that has enough power and energy to move things. Mm -hmm. So you, you may have had a poltergeist experience. I had one one time that wasn't at all scary. I was laying in bed. And it was also at the Cashtown Inn. It was in the exact same place, and we were in the attic, and there's a story of a woman, Mary, who I wish she would have done it for us, but the story is she takes care of, she was a, uh, not during the Civil War, it was, it was long after, but she was an innkeeper, oh. and she would, she was like housekeeping. That's right. She was the housekeeper and she would fold things and, you know, she would do everybody's laundry. But there are stories at the Cashtown Inn that if somebody goes out, and does a battlefield tour and, and, you know, gone for the day, they mm -hmm. come back to their room. And if they're in that room, the, all of their stuff is neat and, you know, the bed's made and they may have left it completely alone. And I'm like, why couldn't you do that for me, Mary? <laughs> why don't you follow but me home was, and have my place? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but there was, there was a moment when I was laying down, my wife was on, you know, completely opposite side and I'm on the outside and I, I saw and felt the sheets move on my shoulder and I just, you know, after a while you just accept it. I just said, Thank you, Mary. My wife said, what? I said, I think Mary just tucked me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. My mom always liked to say that it was my great grandmother who I called Momor. That was, she was the one that was at our house just watching over us. I don't know if that was to make me feel better, her feel better or whatever. <laughs> but, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but I had a friend that stayed in the guest room where my Momor would always sleep. And any guest at our house, that's where they stayed. And the next day I was, I was like her halfway point. She was having someone come to near, near where I lived because I was the halfway point between a friend she was spending Thanksgiving with and our college. So she stayed with us for a night. And when I was driving her to meet that friend, she's like, I didn't get a wink of sleep because like there, there's some, there's something in that room. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, but yeah. And going back to all that kind of stuff and like the investigating and all of those kind of things. 
So like I said earlier, during this Halloween season, I wanted to do some cases on Ed and Lorraine Warren because being like a spooky fan, I have watched like the Conjuring movies, never really watched any of the Annabelles, but I'm interested in that, like those kind of stories. But when it comes to the actual like investigation field and those kind of things and people that you know, what are people's opinions on Ed and Lorraine Warren? Like there's... There's a lot of internet stuff that's like, oh, they're a hoax. They just wanted money. They like all. There's all these like controversial things about them now. But what do people in the actual field think? We focus, and and I, I don't know them. I never well, got yeah. the luxury of of meeting them. So, and and if you look on the internet, you'd swear they were you know all kinds of awful, awful people. But I, I don't judge anybody. There's only one person that can judge, and that's not me. But in, in the field, we view them as I actually, I was talking to one of my pals just recently, and we have an opportunity to take over this haunted location. You know, it's it's believed to be haunted. We've already had a couple of psychic mediums just look at pictures of the house and take a look, and it's up for sale. It, it was willed to her, and it was she doesn't know if it's haunted or anything else. She just said, you know, it may be. So she reached out to my pal and said, would you be interested in, in you know, check that out? Two acres with a cabin and she's getting rid of her for $2,500. She has no interest in this place. So we, we asked her for some photographs. We got a photograph of her, got a photograph of a couple people from her family. And there's bad stuff there, Holland. It's bad. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a good place. We had one psychic medium that says he's from Ireland, so I I will try my best not to repeat his accent. I try to, so I I always do that when I, but he told me, he said, walk away from it, Pete. Walk away from it. He said, this is a bad place. He said, I sense there is demon presence in the house. There are multiple spirits that are haunting the place. And he said, Pete, it, it, it may be a portal. And he said, you, you got to walk away from it. And so, you know, I, I shared that with, with my pal. And he said, Ed and Lorraine Warren never walked away from a case ever, mm. ever. Mm. That would they ever walk away from it? And as far as I know, and, you know, what I know of Ed and Lorraine Warren is they never, ever, ever charged a penny for it. They got notoriety and they got fame from it. And they probably got, you know, paid for being on all these shows. But when it came to actual investigation, how can they be a hoax if they never charged for it? That is you know what I mean? So that, 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 that's point. our belief in the field is they, they were the originals. They were the, and maybe not the originals, but they were, they're the ones that brought it to light. Like the case you're going to talk about tonight, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it was the first time it was brought up in the court of law. Yeah. And that was, that was a case of Ed and Lorraine Warren. You know, and Absolutely. and so we, I think there's an awful lot of respect for them in the field, in our field. Just they had no fear, just no yeah. fear. Well, one thing you said earlier, I can't remember if we were recording at the time or not, but you were saying like when when it comes to this kind of field, skeptics are the worst, like because they're gonna find any any way. So like half those people could just be people that are like, eh, I don't know if I believe. Or right, they haven't right. either they're blocking it out or they actually haven't had experiences like like I said, I've had experiences. So when it, for me, I'm fascinated by Ed and Lorraine Warren, no matter what, because like you said, they didn't they didn't charge a penny. They got notoriety, but I mean, kind of like the business that they they did. I mean, it was, well, it was their yeah. livelihood. They had a kid. They had like they had to have a house and food just like everyone else, but they weren't, if they're not charging the people, then that is a really good point. How can you really call it a hoax if like they're charging this, the, like the people that have all the money, but not the people that are like, we're in dire straits and we need help. And, and let me, uh, let me clarify my statement that, that the skeptics, especially in this field, you have to go in as a skeptic. You have to. Because if we go into to a place and go, this place is haunted because they told us it's haunted, and we go in and, and we just know there's spirits all over the place and there's you know demons and there's all mm-hmm. this stuff, and we take our equipment and we start to connect, if we go in with that attitude and that's what we're looking for, that's exactly what we're going to get. It's so if we go in from a, 
yeah. So if we go in from a skeptic point of view, we have to. I, I, I think everybody who's good in the paranormal investigation oh, yeah. field is a skeptic. It's the cynics oh, that yes, I struggle with. Talking. The cynics I struggle with because, you know, who's to say that, it, that somebody's story isn't true? It happened to them, you know? It's the cynics that say, oh, you're lying. It yeah. never happened. How do they know? You know, and, a skeptic might say, I hear you, and I believe that that happened to you, but it might not have been paranormal. It might have been something else. Yeah, and well, kind of like you were saying before, I know this is like a little bit of a different thing, but when it comes to those like kind of experiences, like a UFO, like it's just unexplained. It's not saying, oh, aliens are coming. It's saying that there's something I saw that's unexplained. I can't explain it. And that's kind of what what par- like what you're saying paranormal is which is it's it's not explained it doesn't necessarily mean it's a ghost it doesn't necessarily mean this that or the other thing it's just unexplained you can't explain what happened could there be a, ra- a rational explanation yes but to your knowledge like you 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 have no explanation for the thing that is happening to you right right it's so interesting because it, you mentioned UFO and I, I believe the same thing. It's like anything, unidentified flying object. Let's get to the core of those three words. What is that? I have no idea. Oh, it's a UFO. Yeah, you're right. It is absolutely a UFO. Whether it's, it's blinking or not, it is a UFO because we don't know exactly what it is. You know, now, is it an alien ship? Like you said, uh, you know, and, and some of the lights, we, we're getting off topic, but some of the lights that I've seen <laughs> over the, over mountains and such, And, you know, as a, from, I've studied astronomy and astrology. And, and I think if I believe that we are the only life form out there, that's small minded. I think it's very small minded. I I mean, I definitely agree. I feel like the space is too vast, but it's huge. It's, it's huge. Like it's kind of not rational to think that Mm -hmm. we're the only whether it's like a little insect or a bug, like it doesn't necessarily have to be like us or look like us, think like us, talk like us. But to think that this, that earth has the only things that are living is kind of, like you said, small minded, but Mm -hmm. that is really interesting. What you were saying about Ed and Lorraine Warren, getting back to that, because when I was researching this, I kind of like went down a Google rabbit hole when I was researching them and more often than not, it's like they talk about how they think that they were like taking advantage of people that were in a hard time, but it wasn't even only them. People would downplay the experiences of what the people they were helping were going through and yeah. were like, those people were crazy. They just wanted attention. They they wanted a TV deal. They wanted this. And it's... It's just interesting to think about that because it's just so weird to think that someone would be like, this horrible thing is happening to me. And just saying that to be like, and like moving from houses, like some, some of the people like moved from where they were living or they could no longer stay there. They had to leave and stay in like a hotel or something because they're like, I just can't be in this place anymore. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. when you look at it that way, it's really hard to be like, to diminish whether you believe it was a ghost or not or a demon or not that doesn't mean that there wasn't some sort of Something. thing that was mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and yeah yeah, yeah so, i think ed and lorraine warren were probably in some cases they were the only advocate for some of these people that had these stories yeah, yeah i mean i mean think of a human nature you know if somebody's going through something that another person has never experienced regardless of how good or awful it is you can try to sympathize but you can't you can't truly have that empathy mm-hmm. you can't really feel you don't know what that's like you, you don't know what somebody else has been through and it's common i think when people have these stories you know and when i start talking about that i'm a paranormal investigator it's, it's like i said before you know people jump to like oh I got to tell you this story <laughs> because you're, you're not going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I think Ed and Lorraine Warren were probably that way. Definitely. Well, when you were talking about like cynics, I feel like when it comes to this kind of situation, there's a lot of people that are cynics. They could have had experiences mm-hmm. themselves, but they're like, 
to make themselves feel better or like their brain protecting itself. It's like denial. It's yeah. It's like denial and they're cynical and they're like, ah, oh, whatever. It was, it was the, it was the wind or it was this or that like they're the house settling is the most common. Oh, <laughs> You don't know how many times I heard that when I was younger and I heard the creaks in the floor and I would be uh-huh. like crying out like, I can't. I mean, I think it's why I was afraid of the tooth fairy when I was younger because I never felt alone. And I was like, I don't want something coming into my room at night. When I'm right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it's the house settling in a very rhythmic pattern from one end of the hallway to the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my sister got... I wouldn't be surprised if while when I was younger, she got annoyed with me because I would like be freaking out in the middle of the night and she was the room right across from me. So my parents couldn't hear me because they were on the other side of the house, like smart parents that they were. They're like, ah, <laughs> we're going to we're going to get ourselves a good night's sleep. <laughs> right, but, right. But my sister would hear me and be like, you're fine. You're fine. Go back to sleep. I remember that like vividly happening multiple times. Yeah, so getting into a little bit of background on Ed and Lorraine Warrens, who we've spent some time talking about. Ed Warren was born Edward Warren Minnie, or Ed Warren, September 7th, 1926, in Bridgeport, Bridgeport, Connecticut. He died August 23rd in 2006 in a different part of Connecticut, Monroe, Connecticut. Lorraine Rita Moran, who eventually became... Lorraine Warren, was born on January 31st, 1927, in the same town that Ed Warren was born. And she actually just died last year on, actually, surprisingly, my uncle's birthday last year, April 18, 2019. And both of them were, like, strict Roman Catholics. And what I saw is that they believed that one of the things that caused possession or certain presences or things to show themselves was a lack of faith. And I've even seen some places that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, but I believe that Lorraine Warren claimed to be like clairvoyant and in touch with like the other side. She like got feelings. Yeah. And some of the most famous cases that they did were Annabelle, which I spoke a little bit about, like a doll that had a spirit inside of it, kind of like a conduit. The Amityville Horror, George and Kathy Lutz and their family. And I think they only stayed in the that Amityville house in New York State for like 20 or 30 days. It was a super short time. And then another case that they did, they went across the pond, as they say, to England for the Enfield Poltergeist, which was placed in North London. And there was a house that was plagued by a poltergeist. And then the Snedeker family, they investigated the house that this family lived in, used to be a funeral home. And there was a lot of like, weird feelings, vibes, presences that were in that in that house. And finally, one of the other big ones was the Smurl, which was a family that lived in Pennsylvania. And it was just said that their house was completely disturbed by spirits. And like I was saying before, there's definitely people that were naysayers and the New England Skeptical Society, also Ness, they basically discarded the Warrens in one of the things that I saw and said that their investigations were worthless, ghost stories, or at worst, they were frauds. I'm kind of with you on that one, though, Pete, where I think that you can't diminish like what someone is going through. And I mean, even doctors and people do like the placebo effect, even if like they were just able to offer this family comfort that was having a very hard time or felt something was there. Is that necessarily wrong? I mean, they are making them feel better. And mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. even if like, and you can't diminish what those people were going through, but there's always going to be critics, no matter what. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of them just doing this podcast and just in my life, you're always going to have them. And one of them said, one of them named Brandon Radford, he said of Lorraine, Warren, that if she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I would get a second opinion. And it's just, it's just interesting how people, people vary. And 
I mean, going into their life a little bit more, it's even said that Ed had an affair with the underage girl. I don't know how true this is. I saw it in like one or two places. It's just something that came up. But these these kind of things, I think, like I said, don't diminish the fact that Ed and Lorraine Warren made these people feel more comfortable in the house and in the situation that they were dealing with. No matter what the presence was, they it was made to make them feel a little bit more comfortable. So that's a little bit of background on Ed and Lorraine Warren. But the one that I didn't bring up that is the case we're going to be talking about today is Arn Cheyenne Johnson. And it was one of the one of the cases that Ed and Lorraine Warren investigated. And as Pete was saying earlier, this is one of the first cases that brought up the idea of the devil in a court of law. This case is commonly known as the devil made me do it. And it's actually, I found out while I was doing research on this, it is the inspiration for the next Conjuring movie, the third Conjuring. So that'll be definitely an interesting watch. The, the story of Arn starts in 1980. He was a tree surgeon, which I had to look up what a tree surgeon was. And <laughs> it's basically pruning, fertilizing, and planting trees. You would also remove the dead wood so that the tree could then, could then come back to life, basically. And he was engaged to a woman named Debbie Glatzel. I probably said that wrong, but it's G-L-A-T-Z-E-L. And they weren't living together, but they were anticipating their marriage and they were engaged. So they spent a lot of their time together. And one thing that came up while they were engaged was Debbie's brother, David Glatzel. He was 11 years old and he claimed to be seeing a man that no one else could see, which I don't know about you, but that's like the creepiest thing in my life is like little kids saying that they see something that no one else can see. Like, that's the creepiest thing. Or animals. Animals barking at something when nothing's there. My dog did that just a couple days ago, and I was like, what are you barking at? Why are you barking at the middle of the stairs? There is nothing there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely one of the creepiest things. And so when this 11-year-old started claiming that he was seeing a man, obviously, like the cynics, skeptics, and everything, they're like, there's a more logical explanation. They basically would say that he would say that the man was taunting him and freaking him out, but because they were skeptics and cynics, they were like, ah, he's just making it up. He doesn't want to do chores. He doesn't want to set the table, do the dishes. He doesn't want to do anything that we're asking him to do. So he's just being a kid and saying that there's someone taunting him that no one else can see. And essentially at first they just dismissed it. But not long after the encounters started to become more frequent and violent. David would cry hysterically speaking to the family about a man with big black eyes, a thin face, animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hoofs, which is like, I don't even think I'd want to Google an image like that because that would scare the shit out of me. I'd be like, I'd nope right out of that place. <laughs> So <laughs> at this point, the Warrens kind of start to enter this story. The things with David were becoming more dire and dangerous. He was getting more freaked out. It was happening more often. And it was just becoming more dangerous because they were starting to be able to see marks on David's neck. And the marks looked like hands that were around his neck, but there was no one there, no one doing that to him but you could still see like these visible like marks on him. And so the family was a little freaked out. And at this point, Arn, Arn Cheyenne Johnson began to live with the family. What it seems like is this kind of made them feel a little bit safer or like having another presence, no matter what you think of David, maybe having this other person that was like a role model figure for this boy, it couldn't hurt. And once Arn moved in, the paranormal occurrences, they began to take place during the day. The members of the house would hear noises in the attic. David would hiss 
sees and speak languages that were strange and no one knew and he shouldn't have known. He would also quote Paradise Lost and the Bible, which was odd because these were things, well, especially Paradise Lost, this wasn't something that he'd read and it was just a really weird thing for him to be doing. And so the Warrens told the Glatzens that David was suffering from a possession, that there was there was some kind of presence or demonic presence that was like taking a hold of him. And as I said, when it comes to c- cynics, they also, psychiatrists also took a look at this case and investigated it. And they just believed that David was suffering from a severe mental illness and a learning disability, all of those kind of things. But when the Warrens got involved, David underwent three exorcisms and they were overseen by priests. I didn't do much research into this. Maybe you know more information, Pete, but I went, I've watched like the Conjuring movies and all of those kind of things. And from that, it seems like Ed Warren, as I said, with the priests overseeing it, he was kind of able to do exorcisms or things like that. I don't know if that's the case or if they just helped get the priests involved, but. I I don't know a lot of detail, but as far as my knowledge takes me, he could do minor things. He could communicate, he could banish. And and I think everybody has that ability to some level. You know, if any of your listeners, you know, are bothered by a haunt, you know, try, you're you're, going to feel so silly doing it. But, you know, try, even when nobody's at home, just speak out into the air and just say, whoever's here, you're scaring me. And I'm not going to let you do it anymore. You know, you can stay here. But stay in the attic, or if you want them gone for good, just you know announce it and say you can't stay here. You have to leave. Wow. And in I think a lot of cases that that would be helpful coming from the homeowner or someone who lives there. And what Ed would do is he would come in and he would kind of be that liaison to connect. He couldn't feel as as well as as Lorraine did, but you know as, as Lorraine could could communicate what she was sensing and what she was feeling, mm-hmm. he would be that, that mediator essentially. And, you know, at some point when there's, when there's a possession that the exorcism, you know, that that's when he would call in a Catholic priest. So. Yeah. I think he was able to do like to a certain extent, but once it got to exorcisms, he could do some things, but he needed priests there just because I'm pretty sure priests are like the, I think they kind of have to be there. Just well, if that's going to happen, you have are, to get I, like permission. I was brought up permission. Yes, I was brought up Catholic myself, and I believe Catholicism were the only religion that was that believes in exorcisms and that recognizes exorcisms and, and demon possession. So yeah, that's, you know, certainly not going to call a, a lawyer to do an exorcism. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah. but yeah. And then the, even, even the church has to get approval, much higher approval. Vatican, it, it right? to, I don't know how I was going to, I was actually just going to say that. I think at one point in time, it was all the way to the Vatican. That's um, I'm not sure it, it it's required that that far up anymore, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like even now, even from when they did it, it's I think it's more regulated now. But during these exorcisms, like weird things would happen. David would levitate, he would curse, and he even ended up like not breathing at certain points. And that's just the scariest image and thought in my head that like these things happening, like it's, uh, it's like a nightmare. The people that witnessed the exorcism said that David even predicted the murders that are going to take, the murder that is going to take place, which is foreshadowing. But <laughs> eventually Arne began to taunt this demonic presence right back, which like you were saying before, like just mutual respect. You leave it alone. It's, it's like when I was used to be afraid of animals, my mom would be like, if you leave it alone, it'll leave you alone. And it's that same kind of thing. But he would taunt it. And he even would say to it, take me on, leave my little buddy alone. Because he was about to be part of this family. He's like, I don't want this happening to like my future wife's brother. And so that kind of sums up the 1980s and what was going on with Arn 
and his fiance's family. So now we're going to skip for, forward a little bit to 1981, and Arn was living in an apartment, and he had a landlord whose name was Alan Bono, or Bono. It's B-O-N-O. All I can think of is Bono, though, because of the music. I don't know. But along with being the landlord, Bono is how I'm just going to keep referring to him. He managed a kennel, and the two, from what everyone said, were super friendly. They got along really well. They really liked each other. And sometimes Arn would even call in sick to work so that he could meet up with Bono. And that kind of leads up to January 16th, 1981. There was, from what witnesses say, a vicious argument that ended up breaking out between these two. Police and law enforcement believe that this argument was due to Arn Johnson's fiance. And this argument got so bad that Johnson took out a pocket knife and attacked Alan Bono. Johnson stabbed Bono in the chest and stomach and Bono was left to bleed to death, which is just horrific. But it only took like an hour for them to catch up with with Arn. And at this point, like I said, the police were theorizing that it was a violent argument that Johnson kind of just lost his mind and killed him and it all had to do with the argument. But the Warrens who had been working with the Glotzen family with David, they kind of put their two cents in and thought that there was more to the story, that it could be a demon or a possession or a presence, whatever was affecting David. And the defense ran with this theory and stuck with it. And they tried to claim to the court that Johnson was possessed by a demon at the time of the attack. The one piece of evidence that they gave was that the Warrens told the defense team how Johnson was investigating a well that was in the area that David said was where his encounters with the man or the presence first started. And the Warrens were warning Arn against doing this and investigating this area wholeheartedly. They thought it was a terrible idea and that he shouldn't do it, which I don't disagree with. If someone was telling me that there is an evil spirit and this is where they they started seeing that, I don't think I'd want to be going to that place either. I think it's kind of just common sense, though, are in saying you should not do that. And they think that at this point, the same presence that either the same presence or the same sort of presence that affected David came over Johnson because... Of all accounts, Johnson and Bono got along super well. But as you can guess, police were not buying this. They were pretty much sticking to their guns in the theory that the attack happened because of an argument that broke out because of Debbie, Arn's fiance. And Martin Manila, who Manila, who was Johnson's lawyer, he wanted to try and get the priests that oversaw the exorcism to basically break their silence and speak about the experience and everything that happened to David, because as it probably would, he thought that this would help Johnson's case because it's their belief that the same kind of thing was affecting Arn Johnson. But these, what happens in the exorcism and these things, they're like, they're confidential, but they're also controversial. And a priest getting up to speak about these things that happened. I, I'm i not Catholic in any way, so maybe you have a little more information on this, but I believe that what happened in an exorcism would kind of be like going into the confessional and like saying these kind of things, like what you very, say. Very, very personal thing. And I mean, I, I compare it to like HIPAA laws today. You know, health, you, you, you do not need to ask or share your, your health information, but that, that's a very, very, very personal thing. They were asking him to break that silence and break that confidentiality. And they, they didn't do it from everything I saw that it would be breaking tradition, breaking their silence. And they just, they didn't do it because, but they obviously thought it would help because they were trying to enter a plea of not guilty due to demonic possession. And the priests speaking to what happened to David, they thought would be able to add to the narrative, but 
the priests didn't come, they didn't speak. And I believe before they even would have been able to call any of them, the courts were not having it. The courts had already spoken to the existence of God and religion and that kind of thing. But this was the first time that it had ever been brought to them to speak to the existence of the devil. And as I said, cynics believed that the Warrens were profiting off of a tragedy and they were mocked and ridiculed. There were a lot of people that were cynics and skeptical and just kind of like people are now. Not everyone wants to believe in it, whether it's they haven't had anything happen or they just don't want to believe that something's happened. But one of their peers even stated that they have an excellent vaudeville act, a good road show. But that's like the cynics and everything. And the Warrens still did their thing. They kept going. And the plea of demonic possession was denied. And it was denied because Judge Robert Callahan argued that it would I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but it would be damn near impossible to prove a possession in a court of law. And having a lawyer as a roommate, she's kind of changed my thinking on things. And when I think about it, it would be really hard to like, without a shadow of a doubt, prove that it was a demonic possession. And the the judge stated that a lot of that testimony then, because it couldn't be proven in a court of law, it would be unscientific and irrelevant. And so after this was denied, Johnson's defense team, they decided to take a plea of self-defense, that the argument got heated, they started having a row, and Johnson was defending himself. And he ended up being convicted of first-degree murder, or first-degree manslaughter, sorry. He was convicted of first-degree manslaughter on November 24th, 1981. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years, but he only served five of those years. And then what I found after the case is that he and Debbie did end up getting married at the end of this because she she was there with everything with her brother. So she really did believe that what happened was not like a premeditated murder or something like that. What happened was like, the same thing going on with her brother. So I thought it was an interesting case. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, like, just your thoughts, one, on the case, and two, if there's anything you want to add. or It reminds me a lot of, I, I mean, that case, it was a long time ago. You know, I, I, I'm not sure, I haven't done the research. I'm not sure that, that anybody has tried the same thing since. Would it, I, I think the, the world as a whole is more accepting of really weird stuff, you know, but how long ago I would love to do the research. When was temporary insanity first introduced to the courts? Mm -hmm. And because it seems like everybody's, you know, gets off on temporary insanity and which I'm sure that's not true. So, but <laughs> it, it feels like that it's, it's a very valid case. It's, you know, temporary insanity, uh, be it, you know, a, a fit of rage, be it, you know, whatever that might be. I'd love to find out when, when that was introduced into the courts. If, if you can be innocent in temporary insanity, why couldn't you be innocent under the influence of something else because temporary insanity is basically you're, you're not rationally thinking going back to definitions, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I swear I'm not an English teacher, but you know, insanity, you, you're, you're not thinking rationally and, yeah. you know, be it that fit of rage and, and, you know, maybe it's only a matter of time. Maybe it has been presented since 1981, but I, I, I'm not sure. I'd love to keep doing yeah. research on that. I'm you know? with you. I haven't actually looked that up, but that would be like a really interesting thing to look into because I mean, when you think about it, even with like the mental health system and things like that, when you think about all of the things that come into just what we know now compared to what we knew then at yes, yeah. like how we treat mental health, how we deal with it and how we view it. And that, I mean, it's the same kind of thing where you, you are right. I mean, it is a little, I mean, just think of podcasts like Two Girls, One Ghost and all the horror movies and all of those things. And like you said, even you have people come up to you and they're a little nervous to say it out loud because they think they're going to be judged. But right, right. But right. people, most people have a story of some weird 
thing that happened to them. That's yeah. unexplained. Yeah. I met somebody literally at Walmart yesterday, just yesterday, that when I said that I was looking for a phone because I want to do Facebook Live using an external camera. It's a, it's a camera that we have in the field called NICAM. You know, it's designed by a paranormal investigator. You can, you know, find it at ghostsite.com. But I want to be able to connect that to a phone so I could do Facebook Live through my author mm-hmm. page. So I was at Walmart and, you know, I said, what do you guys know about phones and everything? I've always been an Apple guy and which it don't, it won't work. You have to have an Android because Apple is so, you know, locked down. So I started mm-hmm. asking and they said, well, what are you using it for? What's your service? And I said, I don't even need the service. Strangely, I, I'm a paranormal investigator. And she goes, really? I never did find out about the phone. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but she, she showed me a clip it's a tiktok that she made she was just sitting at her basically like an like an island in the middle of her kitchen and as she's singing this this song a apparition walks behind her oh wow and and i've never seen you know i want to look at it a whole lot more but it (laughs) looks as though there's there's a filter so I, I don't know if there's a filter that, that causes a smoky effect. And, and there was something, but was that apparition looked crystal clear to go from, from the right side of the screen to let with her left to right behind her. And so, I, you know, what, what is reality? I, I don't know. So, but the more, the more it's out in the open, and I think Ed and Lorraine brought it to, brought it to light. And mm-hmm. they were the first paranormal investigators, you know, and then you have, you know, you, you've got ghost hunters. I mean, that was unheard of, you know, Grant, which I had the pleasure of meeting a little over a year ago and, and Jason and, and, you know, that, that whole team, Mm -hmm. they were like the originals. And when that took off, now you've got all the people that are, they're like, Hey, we want to be paranormal investigators because we can have a show too. We can be rich. Mm -hmm. And if you had any idea how much money is in paranormal investigation, Trust me, you'd keep your day job. You know? <laughs> it's if you don't do it because you love it, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know. Yeah. But yeah. there's there's an awful lot of rightful cynics out there. There has been, and I'm not going to call it out, but there's been a show that there was there was a person said, "Oh my gosh, did you see that? Something just tugged on my pants." And we've actually watched it closely, and they focus on the opposite side. But if you look, he literally pulls his pants from the other side they're loose enough that it it yanked it mm. and it's like really so there are cynics out there rightfully so so believe what you want believe but but come into it from a skeptical standpoint mm. i ask that people don't go in as a cynic but skeptical yeah. but you know what what could happen in a case now maybe it would be more acceptable if that same yeah. case from 1981 were today i don't know yeah you know, and the, the world accepts a lot more weird stuff well and like you said when ed and lorraine being some of the first like really to break through you're always gonna have those people that are like gonna disagree with you or do whatever they're gonna do just because you're kind of the first one bringing it to light where as you said and as we we were saying a lot of times now people are watching scary movies they're watching weird weird things happening to them, people they know, movies, horror movies, just all of those kind of things where it's kind of a little bit more, I'm not going to say that there's not still cynics, but there's more people that will, that are willing to be like, it's unexplained. And I like the way you put that. They're willing to open their mind a little bit Mm -hmm. and, and think maybe there is something behind this. Yeah, because I really like the way that you put it that like, it doesn't have to be a ghost. It's unexplained. It's some it, paranormal is something that you don't you can't put your finger on what happened. But that doesn't mean it's a ghost or this or that. It just means that something happened. And right. I think that's a really good way to go into it and being like, going into it being like, in a way, as you said, a skeptic, that's the perfect way to go in is like, yeah, it was unexplained, but let's see if, like, if we look at this or if we wind this back or if we do this, like, if we can find it and find out how this happened and what caused this sound. 
And another point that I'd like to make is with, with the cynics, I mean, think of psychic mediums. Mm-hmm. And you probably have listeners that are going, oh, Pete's talking about psychic <laughs> mediums. Oh, my gosh, they're nuts. These people are crazy. And it, it's a proven fact that we use, what, 1% or 2% of our brain? I well, have heard that before. Maybe yeah. some people have have opened up other parts of that brain. I, I mean, if you're talking 2% out of 100 mm-hmm. And maybe they've engaged. Maybe some people have an engagement of a different part of the brain that we don't. So, mm-hmm. and maybe that's where acceptance and, and understanding of others comes from. And so, as long as we have that understanding that, yeah, maybe I can't feel, which I actually am a little bit of a feeler. But if you watch, I got to put a plug in here. Go to my author page, Pete Nunweiler, author on Facebook. There's a video out there of uh, it's a 22 minute video that I did just two weekends ago that I actually helped cross a young lady over that had been murdered in the 80s. She was at peace. She just she wanted her story told, and when that was done, you know, we helped cross her over. I'm definitely going to be looking that up. That's that's awesome. Um, but why is that, you know, why, why would that be crazy? So mm-hmm. psychic mediums and all that, I think if we open up our minds to that possibility that maybe some people are more capable and more able and Definitely. have opened their minds out a little bit more. So, Well, also, when you think about it, like the color you're seeing and the color I'm seeing, it's going to look different to the both of us. Like the green I'm seeing is going to be a different shade than the green that you're seeing. And that's just like a proven fact so how if if the shades that we're seeing are different how can we say that someone else isn't seeing something that we're not seeing when it's already proven that like the color and things that i'm seeing with my eyes aren't the same as the person that's sitting next to me i love that analogy and here's why it's almost like you knew this but you don't and for your listeners trust me holland has no idea about this (laughs) I'm actually red, green, colorblind, and I've written a book about being red, green, colorblind. I make that very point. So, you know, we can identify colors, but we see something different. So, and I think if, if we recognize that, if we use that experience, that, that thought process more in life, I think we'd be more accepting of other people. Yes, they're different. It's different. But does that mean it's wrong? No. You know? So. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. And. I just want to thank you so much for reaching out and joining me today. This has been this is great. so you. interesting and fascinating to talk about with you. And I've really enjoyed it. So for the people that are listening, where can they find you? If you want to name that Facebook page again, website, yeah, email, uh, anything, where can they find you? Facebook, Facebook is Pete Nunweiler, author. And you can also go to PeteNunweiler.com which I'll give, I'll give you the spelling N-U-N-W-E-I-L-E-R. So PeteNunweiler.com. Uh, if you want an author signed copy of the book, I just pull from my stock that's right behind me and I'll, you know, I can personalize it and everything for you, but it's also available at over 70 online retailers. So if you go pull up Google right now and just type in the ghost between us book and it, it's, it'll be flooded with it. So Google, Google knows who I am. Awesome. And I will also be putting those in the show notes at the bottom just so that people can find you if they want to hear more about your book or see your that really interesting video that you were just talking about. Yeah, you got to check that out. Got to check that out. I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds fascinating to me. I would like that sounds so cool. But yeah, that's been another episode of Fight or Fright. I am so grateful that Pete Nunweiler joined me today to speak about all of his experiences and talk a little bit about Ed and Lorraine Warren with me and the case of Arne Cheyenne Johnson. And you guys can find me on social media at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. You can find me at fightorfrightpod on Instagram, fightorfrightpod on Facebook, and on Twitter, I am fightfrightpod. I also am Fight or Fright Pod on TikTok, so you can look up little videos and bonus sneak peeks that I'm going to be putting on there. But thank you guys for joining me today. I'm so glad that you joined another episode of Fight or Fright. You fighters are awesome. And don't forget, don't fight this fright. Love you guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod. 
and on Gmail at fighterfrightpod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at fightfrightpod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.